0: Hello there and welcome into another edition of the Intersection Podcast, with conversation highlights from the Meeting House on Faith Radio about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. First up, it's Joel Rosenberg. He leads the Joshua Fund, as well as All Israel News and All Arab News. It's always great to chat with him because he brings clarity to the situation involving Israel, the Middle East, and overall conditions of our world today. Coming up, you'll hear some of his pertinent comments from a recent Meeting House conversation. Also, Lori Hatcher discusses some of the biblical principles upon which she and her husband have built their almost four-decade-old marriage and provides encouragement to married couples to put the Lord first. And on this edition of The Intersection, Mark David Hall, a professor at George Fox University, relates how the faith of our founders has been influential in the area of religious freedom and makes the case for how Christianity has been a powerful force for good in our nation. Finally, in May, Teacher Appreciation Week was observed. And on the Meeting House that week, David Schmuse of Christian Educators discussed how teachers can be effective witnesses for Christ in their classrooms even in public schools, and shared about some of the challenges that teachers are facing. This is the Intersection, of production of The Meeting House. I'm Bob Crittenden. Joel Rosenberg is a well-known expert on the Middle East and is devoted to helping Christians understand some of the dynamics at play in that strategic part of the world. He's not only a novelist, but is also editor-in-chief of All Israel News and All Arab News, He hosts the Rosenberg Report on the Trinity Broadcasting Network as well. His latest novel is called The Libyan Diversion. Here now from a recent Meeting House
1: Conversation is Joel Rosenberg. We're at the 75th anniversary of the not just the miraculous rebirth of the state of Israel on May 14, 1948, but the prophetic rebirth. There are a lot of uh, people in the world that don't realize that the only book on the planet for 2,000 years that said that Israel would be reborn as a sovereign nation state, that Jews would pour back in to resettle here in the Holy Land after centuries of exile being scattered all over the world, uh, that God would rebuild the ancient ruins through the Jewish people, that he would uh, make the deserts bloom. All of those prophecies are end times prophecies. They're eschatological prophecies. And both Christians and many non-Christians, most non-Christians, but even many Christians just didn't realize for most of time that that God literally meant these things. It wasn't metaphoric. It wasn't symbolic. God was saying through the Hebrew prophets and through the, 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 the totality of the Bible, I'm literally going to bring the Jewish people back and resurrect, as it were, the sovereign nation state of israel and that happened in 1948 we're 75 years in uh it's a pretty big deal i would say even for young people uh young christians young evangelicals we need to be teaching them that if you're not even sure exactly if god is, is, is real is he's does he exist and is the hmm. bible true look to look to israel not that we're a perfect country i'm not saying that we've got a lot of flaws but my point is the fact that we exist the fact that it, It it came about just like the Bible said means that God was real and that the Bible was true. It's one of the great apologetics, and yet much of the church isn't teaching it.
0: I understand that this book was actually inspired by a conversation that you had almost two years ago with then-Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. And it was about a subject that is, as we might say, ruling the news right now in America in many circles. So tell me about that conversation, if you would.
1: I was interviewing him on the weekend of September 11th, 2021, in Washington, D.C., as we were marking the 20th anniversary of the horrific attacks uh, by Al-Qaeda, by Osama bin Laden of of 9-11. And at this event that we were doing, actually, at the Museum of the Bible, um, I asked the Secretary a lot about the Iran threat, of course, and the threat from Russia and from China and other obvious threats. But then I asked him towards the end of our conversation, Mr. Secretary, is there something that I'm not asking you, you know, that's, that's keeping you up at night? Like, what do you worry about that I'm not paying attention to? That many, maybe many of us in this room are not even focused on? And Pompeo, uh, you know, sort of caught me off guard. He said, "Ungoverned spaces in northern Mexico along the U.S.-Mexican border—that's what worries him." I said, "What do you mean?" He said. Effectively, the Mexican government have, has surrendered or, or uh, abandoned large swaths of territory in their northern sphere right on the U.S. border. And effectively, he, the, he said the Mexicans have, have abandoned that territory to drug cartels, uh, human trafficking mm-hmm. organizations, uh, organized crime syndicates, and so forth, and, and they're not doing much about it. And he said, you know, this is a serious danger. And if, if if it's not dealt with decisively, it's going to get worse. As I thought about it, Bob, over the next few days and weeks, I thought, wow, Pompeo didn't emphasize terrorism or terrorists trying to get in through the Mexican border. He was focusing at that time. I mean, if, if I'd asked him about terrorism specifically, I'm sure he would have agreed. But, but he didn't focus on that. But I started focusing, well, after 20 years after 9-11, it's hard to... Fake a passport and get on a plane and come into America. Almost impossible, right? And you can't just drive in a truck with a nuclear bomb in it or whatever because it's going to be detected at the border. There's all kinds of sophisticated things that the United States Homeland Security has put in place to protect the country, except the entire Mexican border is open and you can just walk right in. And so that is the premise of the Libyan diversion.
0: Joel Rosenberg here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to Rosenberg. that's R-O-S-E-N-B-E-R-G dot com. Well, I had the chance recently to talk with Lori Hatcher. She and her husband David have co-authored a book called Moments with God for Couples, 100 Devotions for Growing Closer to God and to Each Other. In our conversation, she discussed some of the biblical principles upon which she and her husband have built their almost four-decade-old marriage and provided encouragement to married couples to put the Lord first. Here now from that Meeting House conversation is Lori Hatcher.
2: Well, we really drew on our own history of growing in faith together as a married couple. And about 20 years ago, we something finally clicked with us. We knew that Christians were supposed to, um, especially Christian couples, were sub- their home was supposed to be centered around Christ and around God's word. But somehow we could never quite figure out what that looked like. We knew it involved spending time in God's word. We knew it involved spending time in prayer. But in the busyness of our lives, we just struggle to make it happen. We we tried it in the mornings, but the household was crazy with getting everybody off to work. Or we try it in the evenings, and inevitably one or both of us would fall asleep in the middle of it. But one one year we were looking at a brand new devotional because we bought ourselves one every year in a you know an attempt. This is going to be the year when we're going to have a devotional time. So we just came, we just hit upon the idea that David always left for work earlier. So I said, you know, we always thought, I don't think we have time in our day for this, but we knew we needed to make time. So um, we realized that every morning he ate breakfast before he left for work. I thought, well, if we want to introduce a new habit, let's pair it with an existing habit. So I asked him, you know, if I make you a simple breakfast, would it be okay if I just read a chapter from a devotional book while you eat? It wouldn't take any time away from his, you know, getting out the door on time routine. But it would give us a time to sit together around God's word and just start our day with a devotional thought. So that's what we did. And, and at the end, we, we chose something that was very quick. It wouldn't take more than three or four minutes to read. And then at the end, we just asked each other, how can I pray for you today? How can I pray for you? And we would share just a simple prayer request with each other, and we'd pray about it. So the whole process took less than five minutes, but it transformed our marriage. Instead of, of just, you know, when he'd come home at night, you know, how was your day? Fine, how was your day? Fine. We could connect based on the prayer request we had shared with each other that morning. I would ask him, how did your meeting with John go? Did, you know, was he was he open to your suggestions or or how did it go? And he'd ask me, how did they, how did the kids do today? I know you're struggling with Kristen and the math program that you're using. How did that turn out? All of a sudden we had connection points. Not only that, but because we had shared prayer requests with each other, we could pray during throughout the day because we would think about what we had shared with each other and it would prompt us to pray for each other so we felt our love just being rekindled through that practice and of course through the devotional itself we were we were we had a tool to gain a spiritual thought from the bible in a relatable way that we could apply to our lives. So it was, a, it was the most powerful five minutes of our day, and it really transformed our marriage. That was part of the reason we, we really ch- wanted to be part of this project, because mm-hmm. we know how meaningful those devotionals have been to us over the years.
0: Lori Hatcher here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to Lori, L-O-R-I, com. This is The Intersection podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House, and you can learn more through meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming menu at faithradio.org and clicking on the Meeting House link. When you visit the homepage, you'll find a link to the Media Center, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on the Intersection podcast and the Meeting House radio program. You'll also find links to the Intersection podcast, to the Media Center, as well as the Apple podcast feed. Plus, you can find links to video clips with Meeting House guests through the Faith Radio YouTube channel. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. There's also The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info, or you can go to the programming section at faithradio.org. You can also find content from The Meeting House through the Faith Radio app and a variety of podcast platforms, search for Faith Radio Podcast when you visit Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcast platforms. I had the chance recently to talk with Mark David Hall. He is Herbert Hoover Distinguished Professor of Politics at George Fox University. He and I discussed the book Proclaim Liberty Throughout All the Land how Christianity has advanced freedom and equality for all Americans. Here now from that
3: conversation is Mark David Hall. End of the 20th century, far too many academics and popular writers um, talk as if Christianity had simply been a force for oppression mm. and repression. And to the extent to which we make any advances at all, it's because we overcome Christianity, or at least traditional uh, approaches to Christianity, and maybe embrace progressive... Uh, manifestation to Christianity or no religion at all. And so I wanted to press back against that. I also um, read the New York Times 1619 project, which not only makes claims like the ones I just mentioned, but it says really all of America must be understood in light of slavery and racism. And this just struck me as completely wrong. And so what I attempt to do and proclaim liberty, I recognize, as I must, that some Christians have appealed to the Bible and Christian theology to support slavery, to support sexism, um, to support poverty. But I argue that on balance, Christian, Christianity has been a force for both liberty and equality from the pilgrims to the present day and I attempt to make that case um, grounded in the scholarship, but without being too scholarly. It's a very accessible book, at least I'd like to think it is.
0: Mark David Hall joining us today here on The Meeting House on Faith Radio from George Fox University. He is the author of this book, Proclaim Liberty Throughout All the Land. And so when we look and and Again, to wax historical just a bit with respect to some of our founding principles and this whole concept of religious liberty. Of course, we we recognize the freedom of religion as something that is enshrined in our First Amendment, in the Bill of Rights. It's really a principle that was very important to the founders. Elaborate, if you would, for us how you've seen this principle of religious liberty been or be such a a strong force in our land.
3: Yeah, so especially in my last book, Did America Have a Christian Founding? I argue that Americans came to embrace religious liberty because indisputably pious, godly men like Roger Williams William Penn, Isaac Bacchus, and others, made biblical and theological arguments in favor of religious liberty, and what's striking is they made those arguments in favor of religious liberty for all, not just their own faith or their own manifestation of Christianity. So William Penn isn't arguing just for the Quakers, for instance. He's saying everyone has this right to religious liberty, Christians and non-Christians alike. By the time you get to the founding era, almost everyone is convinced of this reality. And so every state constitution pretty much in a few cases of statutory law protects religious liberty. The U.S. Constitution did not, but the anti-federalists complained so loudly that the Constitution was amended with the First Amendment that protects the free exercise of religion. Uh, One of my favorite letters from the era, and I I quote it with some regularity, is George Washington's letter to the Hebrew congregation in Newport, Rhode Island. Now, in the late 18th century, there are only about 2,500 Jews in North America. Everyone else of European descent is a Christian, about 98% Protestant, 2% Roman Catholic. Uh, But Washington wrote to this tiny minority, and he made it crystal clear, uh, to paraphrase him a bit, He said it is now no longer that we speak of toleration. We've recognized that everyone has a natural right to worship God according to the dictates of conscience. And elsewhere, we see that uh, religious liberty goes well beyond the freedom to worship. It includes the ability to act upon your religious convictions whenever possible, or it serves as a protection against being forced to do something uh, against your religious convictions. So just for instance, every state, protected religious pacifists they said we aren't going to force religious pacifists quakers mennonites brethren to fight in the military against their religious convictions now, religion isn't a, isn't a get, get out of duty free card. You still have to do something. You have to do some sort of non-combat service or pay an additional tax or something. But the idea that we will not force Americans to go against their religious convictions was deeply ingrained among America's founders.
0: Mark David Hall here on The Intersection. You can find him online at markdavidhall.com. Finally, on this edition of the Intersection Podcast, in a conversation aired during Teacher Appreciation Week of May 2023, the Executive Director of Christian Educators, David Schmoos, discussed the overall work of the organization, addressed how teachers can live out a Christian witness in the public schools, and analyzed some various challenges for teachers. Here now from that Meeting House conversation is David Schmoos.
4: We really do two things. Uh, the first thing we do is we provide a professional association benefits for educators. And this is especially important for Christian educators because uh, many of them are involved in unions or at least recruited to be in unions. And we provide a lot of the same benefits of unions, like the liability insurance, the job protection benefits, the unlimited legal educational consultation, but for much less cost, Uh, usually about a third to a, a quarter of the cost of union dues and all from a biblical worldview. So we provide those benefits. And the second thing we do is we help Christians in our public schools walk out their faith legally uh, without getting fired. So we kind of tell them, hey, what are those legal do's and don'ts, what you can and can't do as a as a Christian in our public schools? How can you bring the light of Jesus? How can you carry the values of the kingdom into a school, into a public school, uh, in ways that are going to both uh, be a blessing to that school and keep you employed there in the long term and stay in your mission field? So uh, we really enjoy doing that. Uh, it's our heart. It's our passion. And if there are Uh, Christians out there involved in our public schools, uh, we would love to talk to you.
0: And something that just crossed my mind, I thought I would give you the chance to address it with respect to a Supreme Court decision from a number of years ago that had to do with compulsory union membership. For teachers. Mm-hmm. And as a result of that court action, the landscape has changed with respect to to teachers and joining unions and, and giving them options, correct?
4: Uh, absolutely. Yes. It used to be that in many states, uh, especially what we call the forced union states, uh, that you had to either be a member of the union or still pay them large fees called agency fees. And now with the Janus case uh, that happened in 2018, Uh, The Supreme Court ruled that was unconstitutional. And so now public sector employees, whether they're teachers or law enforcement or firefighters or anyone, uh, municipal employees, uh, do not have to join unions and they can get all of their dues back. So uh, that has been really helpful for uh, especially Christians in these sectors who don't want their union, who don't want their union dues going to Planned Parenthood or don't want their union dues supporting uh, things that they don't they believe in or that undermine their values. So uh, that's been a huge uh, benefit for our members and for public uh, sector employees all over the country.
0: Well, you talk about the legal do's and don'ts, and of course we hear so much about establishment of religion and separation of church and state, and we see a, a lot of court cases, it seems, that have to do with the, the freedom of religion, religious expression in public schools. So what do you see as perhaps some of the the principles that teachers, Christian teachers, can keep in mind as they teach students while really desiring to be a Christian influence in that position?
4: Sure. Sure, yeah. There's, there really, there's really a couple of those things. Uh, one is that the Constitution and the Establishment Clause in particular really governs these issues. Uh, of course, people often say the separation of church and state, but uh, you and I probably both know that those words aren't in the Constitution. Uh, What is in the Constitution is the Establishment Clause. And how that's interpreted now is that essentially teachers of faith, of any faith, or of no faith, uh, can't go into a public school and sort of advocate or endorse their particular position, whether that be uh, towards a particular faith or or against faith. Uh, Schools have to be neutral on religion. So something I often say is that, you know, the teacher that, that tries to have an altar call in their classroom well, yes, of course, that's unconstitutional. But it's also unconstitutional for a teacher to say in their classroom, uh, "You're a fool if you believe in God." Uh, that's an unconstitutional hostility toward religion. Schools have to be neutral on religion, and so um, I'm really curious to see how the courts are going to move in that direction because so much what we're seeing now in the schools, with with the transgenderism, with the with the critical race theory, with the, you know all these ideologies, which are unscientific, they're unproven, they're 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 simply theories. And they, they oftentimes take the characteristics of religious, uh, mm-hmm. religious ideas, or, right. or, and people hold them with religious fervor. And so it's going to be interesting to see how the courts uh, dissect that, because I could certainly make the argument that some of these ideologies are, in fact, religion, or at least should be treated as such and that schools can't endorse them. And so um, I'm, I'm hoping that the Supreme Court will give us some some relief from, from some of these things teachers are experiencing right now.
0: David Schmoos here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to christianeducators.org. Well, that about wraps up this week's edition of The Intersection Podcast, the weekly production of The Meeting House. You can find out more through meetinghouseonline.info or by accessing the programming section at FaithRadio.org. There is a link marked The Meeting House. When you arrive at The Meeting House homepage, you'll find a link to The Media Center. That's where you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on The Intersection podcast and The Meeting House program. You can also find links to The Intersection, to The Media Center, as well as its Apple podcast feed. And you can find a link through which you can watch video of Meeting House guests at the Faith Radio YouTube channel. Two blogs are accessible, One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. There's also The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info or you can visit the programming section at faithradio.org. Thank you for joining me for this week's edition of
3: The Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.